Well, we're, we're just just hit the record. Dennis and I were kind of just chatting before. And for some of you who don't know, just quick brief introduction. Dennis started a program called Building Men. And he was he was working at a school, saw the need in the young men in the school and, and kind of saw the troubles they were getting into. And to for me personally, and this is a very selfish interview right now, because it's an awesome topic that is important to me as well. Uh, you know, a lot of people know I work with guys in recovery. I have a son who's 17, who less than 24 hours ago, we were having a conversation about what it is to be a man and noticing guys in recovery who never were taught that, didn't understand what it was like to be a man, what were things that they were supposed to do, and all they had was what the world taught them. Uh, And the mission that Dennis is on that I support completely and I love that I think will bring a lot of value is teaching young boys that exact thing of what it's like to be a man. So, man, Dennis, what's up, bro? How's it going, Joseph? To be here, my man. I appreciate it. Dude, I'm so grateful just to have this opportunity to chat with you. I've been listening to a lot of your stuff. And and again, this is so selfish because I've gotten so much value from the things that you're teaching. And it's helping me just become a better father and a better mentor for for young men in recovery. So I got to thank you first off for that, man. It's an honor to talk to you. Oh, my pleasure. I I appreciate that. There was a guy that uh, I interviewed on on the Building Men podcast. His name is Michael DeSanti. He's actually a Florida guy as well. And what he said was men need three types of men in their life. They need someone who is a guide and a mentor that can help teach to inspire They need someone who's in the trenches with them that's going through the same stuff that they're going through at that point in their life. And then they need the mentee, the the student that they can then take the knowledge that they've learned from their experiences, from the men that they're working with and help bring up along the next generation. It always stuck with me. And that's so to be in a space where, you know, going through a lot of the same stuff that we're going through, but also to be in a mentoring space where you're listening to what I'm saying. I'm truly grateful for that. I appreciate it. Which is awesome. I'm, uh, I think it's authentic really right now, you know, because I, it's, it's something that I noticed even in myself growing up as a young guy, you know, it's this mantra of men. And, and I've been paying a lot more attention to it, and especially after the conversation, you know, just a quick conversation you know, I had when we first met. And it's almost like what you focus on expands. And knowing that I was going to chat with you today, it got me thinking a lot about this topic and the notice of what is it to be a man? You know, we're all looking for you know, I want to be successful. I want to be a man. And I'm in here trying to teach my son that, you know, and, and, and trying to figure that out. And it's, it's definitely not an easy task because somebody who didn't grow up understanding that value either, just my own lesson. So, man, I, I would love to just dive in. I know we're going to be able to hit some stuff and, and I'm definitely like respectful of your time as well. So kind of just tell us where you got started and how this thing of, of what building men is for people who don't know and how you got started with it. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, appreciate that. And started back in 2005. It was my first year as an assistant principal. I'm a teacher, a coach. I went to college, got my degree in elementary education. So my certification was kindergarten through eighth grade. Started teaching elementary school. Sixth grade was a varsity baseball coach for a period of time in central Jersey. And never wanted to work with middle school age students. Never wanted to work with that adolescent student. Myself, I had a lot of issues going through middle school. And I shied away from it a little bit, but then an opportunity presented itself where I was hired as 28-year-old assistant principal, my first administrative job. And walking into that position, I recognized immediately a lot of the issues that I was dealing with, probably 90% of the issues that I was dealing with were with the young men in school. They were coming to school late or ditching school altogether. They were getting into fights. They were getting tossed out of class or being disrespectful. A lot of the grab-ass shit that I probably did myself when I was seventh, eighth grade, they were getting classified into special services. They were getting held back. Their grades are really poor. 
And I knew that something had to be done. And again, it was my first year as an assistant principal. I was barely keeping my head above water. But also in college, I studied sociology. So I also studied the group dynamics, like how groups work with each other. What are some lessons that we could teach to groups of people? And so I always had that as a backdrop and and recognizing the young men in the school did need help. There was a, a program in my school where the female guidance counselor, she was in her early 60s at the time, she ran a program called Girls Speak Out. And it was a really powerful program where she got the young women together once a week, once every two weeks, and talked to them about body image, about what society was telling them, that it, what it meant to be a girl, a young woman in society. But there wasn't a synonymous boys program at the school at the same time. And I'll still, I still remember, I don't tell this story often, but there was a night where this guidance counselor and myself, and it was Betty Banikova, we did a, a night where we were talking to middle school parents. How do you talk to your kids about sex? What are certain things you should say? What shouldn't you say? How do we go about bridging this gap to make that conversation more normalized for our kids? So it's not something that, okay, we're going to sit down and talk about the birds and the bees today. We wanted to make it something that was more, okay, let's just start the conversation with our kids. So I'm there. It was in October of 2005. And I remember there was one parent that stood up and she said, I have to bring this to everyone's attention. She says, if you look around the room, there are 50 parents here. Every single parent here is a parent of a young woman. Who the hell is talking to the boys? Who's talking to the boys? Who's going to be the one that talks to them? And she's like, Mr. Moralda, the boys like you. Why don't you start a boys group? And I'm thinking, thanks, lady. You know, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm barely hanging on right now. I don't even, I feel like I got into this profession for the, I was, I was really overwhelmed with everything. I have a six month old son at home who wow. this week turned 17. So th- this is how long ago this whole program started. And I took a step back and I said, you know what? She's absolutely right. You know, when I thought about it, I I took myself out of the equation and I said, these young men do need help. They do need someone to help them along their journey. A lot of them were coming from a household where they didn't have a, a masculine influence or a negative masculine influence in their life. So I just started, I decided to start this group. I just called it a boys group initially. And as soon as I started, Joseph, every kid in the school joined, every boy in the school joined this group. I was overwhelmed by it. And I come to find out that they joined because they wanted to have the group to talk about the girls. They figured the girls are going talking about us. We're going to go bitch about the girls. So they wanted a group for that. And so when we started, I asked them like, what is it? What does being a man mean to you guys? And here's, that's one question. The second, and I told them a statement, we're not going to stay here and bitch about the girls. We're not going to talk about boobs and asses and, you know, period. We're going to talk about what it means to be a young man. We're going to start to normalize the conversation. And so what we did was we, I, I asked them, I, I said, you know, what is it? What does a man look like, sound like, feel like, like, what does that mean to you guys? And, and pretty much they told me you have to be a better athlete. So it was bigger, stronger, faster, even the look of a man, it was like, he wore leather. He was riding a motorcycle <laughs> with tattoos. Like that's what they saw, but definitely there was a level of physical dominance. Like you, if you were a better athlete, you were a better man. That was the first thing that they believed. The second thing that they believed was the more girls that you got, the more notches on your belt, the more you know, more women that you bang, that meant that you were a better man. So it was like this sexual conquering of the opposite sex. That to them meant that you were a better man. And both of those things, I believed as I was growing up in my high school and college years, I remember thinking, oh, this is like better athlete. They were, they, they had a higher social standing or in high school, you, you probably remember, oh, that guy is the man. Did you see the girl that you just got with? Yeah. Or he's been with this many women. So there was a level of that that was associated with it. And then they thought it was 
the, the number of material things that you can accumulate, the number of zeros in your bank account, the sneakers, the car, the hat, it, it became what they were seeing, what society was telling them, you had to have this lifestyle of riches. That meant that you were a better man. And what we started to slowly do is break down a lot of those things. And every one of those things, if it was athletic prowess, if it was sexual conquest, if it was financial gain, every one of those things could potentially be taken away from you. If you base your manhood, your masculinity on the number of reps you can do at 225 or what you can squat or deadlift, and now you're 55 years old and you can't do that same weight, does that mean that you're less of a man? Or if you break your leg and you're unable to run or jump, does that mean that you're less of a man? And you hear a lot of stories about former pro athletes that base their entire identity on their ability in that specific sport and they don't have that ability anymore. They lose touch with themselves because they're like, what is it about that? So what we try to do is it's not about that. It's not about how many girls you can bang. If you're going through and using sex as a way to define your role in society as a man, that's a shallow thing as well, because one, there's no deep relationships that are involved with that. And two, say, you know, whatever happens when you're 40 years old and all of a sudden your dick doesn't work the way you used to, you know, and you can't get, now you're less of a man. So if you're basing your manhood on that, then that's a falsity as well. And then finally with the economic success, well, we absolutely want to make money. We want to take care of our family. We want to be able to provide and then give back. But if you're basing it solely on that, you're going to manipulate people. It's going to be about the bottom line rather than the journey, rather than the relationships that you're building. So we slowly broke down a lot of those things. I use books. I use some video clips. One of my favorite things was um, the Jimmy Valvano SB speech from, from 1993. Oh, yeah, Jimmy V. Oh, it was just an amazing thing. For sure. I can't even think about that without getting choked up myself. Yeah. It's we we did we did that we we talked about those things a couple of different books and poems if by Rudyard Kipling the Man in the Glass the Bridge Builder ones that I would use on a regular basis and so we met once every two weeks or so we set it up in a circle and I had twenty five or thirty boys in each group with a total of about one hundred and fifty two hundred in the in the school that had joined we set it up in a circle we shook hands at the start of every meeting looked each other in the eye said each other's name and it didn't matter if you had bullshit with that person before when we got together in that circle like we left our shit at the door you're coming here we are we are a tribe of young men in this group what was said there stayed there so it was a safe space unless i found out that there was a child being abused or there was some other thing it was a space that you can come and talk about the real shit that you were going through and that's not typical for young men to go through that experience in school. So if they if they dropped an F-bomb, I, w- I wasn't like, all right, I'm calling your parent right now. Like, this is a part of the safe space that we're in right now. And I shared my own experience on a lot of different things. And it, what I talked to the boys about was just my experience growing up and different challenges that I had. A lot of those things, if they took that and went home and they told their parents what I told them about drinking and smoking and sex, and I probably would have gotten fired. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because it were it was real shit. Yeah, yeah. And I taught him how to tie a tie. I taught him how to change a tire. I taught him how to jump a car. I would have gone. I, I should not have had thirteen year olds outside learning how to change a tire of a truck. It should not. There's no chance in hell that should have ever happened. But it did. And they what they did was they went through experiences together. So we greeted each other. There was a topic that we talked about for the for the day or for that lesson. We always did some type of an activity where we we had fun together as well. It could have been, you know, just a getting to know you icebreaker thing. By the end, we did like a trust walk around the school where they were wearing blindfolds and like one 14 year old boy was leading another one down steps into the parking lot. Like, unless they're, they're able to trust each other, that thing, those things can't happen. So it started to build this really solid community. And then what I recognized was 
after they had been in this program, all the, 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 the issues that they were facing, coming to school late, not coming, disrespect, the fights, it all slowly went away. Like we, I wasn't having issues with the kids getting thrown into class. Our suspension rate dropped 400% in, in the course of a year. And there were other things that we were doing. I don't want to say it was just because of that, but I believe a large part of that was because these, kid had a, these kids had a safe space. And so I brought this program to three different middle schools where I held a leadership position. And I still talk to a lot of the kids today. They're like 27, 28 years old. And they still remember the experience that they had going through building men when they were 13 or 14 years old. So to me, hands down, it was the most impactful thing I've ever done as an educator. And that's, that's kind of the how the whole thing got started. That's how it got going. That was the, the building blocks for building men. One of the things I'm thinking about as you're saying it is like even me growing up as a young, as a young boy trying to find my identity and the challenges that was probably faced. I wonder for you and for them, and I would like to hear about them. And that'll lead me into my question is, you know, like I know, and, it, and that's why I was actually just talking to my son about yesterday. You just said your son's 17 and my son's 17. I was brought into his life, you know, when he was 13 years old. And we were having this conversation. He's graduating high school and he's trying to figure out who he wants to be. And I asked him, what's the biggest struggle he faces? He said, well, you know, in school, there's these different groups of men or boys, you know, and, and you got the jocks who are doing this and these guys who are smoking and these guys. And he's like, if I just chase my dreams or if I go out and find my path and I do something different, I become different. And it's almost like a challenge for me because it's tough. It means I got to give up this. And I want to ask you if you face those kind of challenges, because I remember even me growing up in high school, I had a great father. He just worked. You know, my, my dad was just always at work and, and not that he wasn't involved, but he was just working. You know, that, that's how I looked at my dad. So nobody taught me the things that you're talking about. And I think about the challenges that my son talked about facing yesterday of what did you see these challenges? Because, I mean, what, what you probably talk to the kids about, I'm guessing this is the first time they're hearing this. Maybe it's not. Maybe they heard it somewhere else, but a real life person who's spending time with them, teaching them something different that I don't want to say the world is teaching, but maybe that their circle is, you know, their circle of friends are doing. It's like if you tell them to not worry about banging chicks, for example, and they go back to school and the dude's like, oh, you hook up with that girl. And now it's like this. Did you face those kind of challenges? And how did the boys, you know, kind of deal with that that you saw? I think what helped was I was getting to them when they were 13, 14, 15 years old. There might've been a couple of them that were having sex at that point in time. But I, I think because there was that, that solid foundation, do I think that they went to high school and they were still chasing tail? Absolutely. I don't think that they were like, Oh, I'm never going to do that again. But what I wanted to do is at least plant the seed that there was something greater than what you're seeing on social media. There's something greater, greater than these lessons that you hear in the locker room. And I do think that the power of the community was, was one of the most important things. What they saw was, an adult male interacting with them in a community sense. So I think about this all the time, Joseph, I think about the lessons that I'm, that, that I'm really cognizant about teaching my son. A lot of that, it, it can't just come from the words that I'm speaking to him. He has to observe me living what I'm saying. Otherwise it's bullshit. If it's just dad's telling me to not worry about what people think about me. And then I'm, I'm constantly worried about what people are saying about me. He's going to see through that. Then, it, then, it's, then it's paper. It's, it's, it's all bullshit. So what, what I'm really cognizant of is teaching my son lessons through him seeing me interact with other people in a very integrous, very authentic way. 
I didn't live my life like that for a long period of time. I mean, we could get into my backstory as well. It was a big imposter syndrome that I was going through because I was saying a lot of these things, but then I was involved in a, in a failing marriage where I was living inauthentically. I was saying one thing and then my marriage was failing and it looked for me, it was like, well, I, I lived in the house on the hill. We had the three, three kids, the stone, beautiful, you know, everything, the dog looked a certain way, but it was bullshit. So for me, when I broke free from that, it made such an impact on my son. Not only that, I left the field of education in 2019. So he saw me go through a whole renaissance in my life in a short period of time. And one of the biggest things for me was on Father's Day of 2020. So after COVID had just you know been a part of our life for a period of time, and I was in the middle of a divorce, I was rediscovering myself. It was right before I start, started the Building Men podcast. My son wrote me a Father's Day letter and I keep it in my wallet with me at all times. And he talks about how he watched me undergo this really challenging, I want to say renaissance, like a rebirth, like what I had, what I, you know, my, my life looked a certain way. And he saw me look at it in the face and say, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to change a lot of these things that I'm doing. I'm going to to change up how I'm showing up, what I want to do to inspire people. And it wasn't easy and it wasn't pretty. But as I look back and seeing, I never told him, Denny, it's my something. Denny, this is why I'm doing this. He sat back and he saw me go through a lot of these things and he took it all in. So for him to, he wrote me a letter and I, there's tear stains all over because I read it and the, the floodgates open. But he talks about, not only are you my hero and my role model, you are my, my Superman. Like your kids say that their dads are their hero all the time. He's like, I've, I've seen you go through this and you come out on the other side with like your Superman cape on. And for me, going back to your initial question, like it's about them seeing you act in a certain way, not just the words that you're saying or the less that you're teaching. They have to see you do it, to see you roll up your sleeve, especially when they see you interact with other human beings in a very authentic way. That's the stuff that they take with them that, that becomes more intrinsic of who they are as they show up for the world. Man, that's, I could imagine, even hearing you say about your son saying you're his hero, man, you know, it's like every father. And, and I was just talking to a guy who's, who just, he just had his first baby, you know, first son. And it's the fears, you know, of, of how do I teach my son this? And, and how do I, he was afraid, you know, I said, Hey, it's exciting. Right. He said, man, I'm really scared. You know, I said, you know, from what do you, what's, what's your fears? And, he said, I just want to be a good dad, you know, and my perspective is the fact that you want to be a good dad is a great thing. I always say, what does that look like for you? You know, and this is kind of a topic that I just spoke about on my last episode about, you know, I think as men, we get lost and I was there. I was, I was lost myself in this mantra of like, okay, being a man is, you know, he works, he pays his bills, he takes care of the family, he sacrifices, dad might not be there, you know, for the kids events, but dad gave you a good life and you lived a good life. Dad provided, you know, he was the strongest man in the world. And where did I get that perspective from? And that's what I've started seeing. Where did this come from? And it came from what I saw, you know, every, every boy that I've talked to that that's trying to become a man or even the men that don't know what it's like to be a man. It's, it's, they have their perspective from their experiences, from their own fathers. And it's, I, I do talk to a lot of kids in recovery who don't have that. Right. And it's, it's tough. And, and, I, and, and that's where I would love to get some, some kind of knowledge from you and, and just from your experience of, you know, you, you have the boys who have the fathers 
you know, like yourself that, that are there and, and showing examples. And look, you just talked about a divorce that your son was able to see who you became through that, where some people would have said, oh, what are your sons going to learn? You need to teach. But your son saw a real man in that moment. What about, did you deal with kids who didn't have a father figure and they're trying to learn how to be a man? What if they don't have the dentist in their life, right? What if they don't have, you know, I can see somebody listen to this right now. It's like, it sounds great. That sounds like a cool community of building men. I don't have that. I don't have a dad in my life and I don't know what it's like to be a man. And I'm just trying to figure it out. What would you tell that, that young boy? It's so important to connect them with some type of a mentor. It doesn't have to be face-to-face. Obviously that would be optimal. That would be ideal in a situation. But any, if there's someone that they could listen to on a regular basis, someone that they can even interact virtually. My brother, Antonin, he's, he's my co-host on the podcast. He's 14 years younger. And so coincidentally enough, when I started building men, Anthony was 14 years old. And so I was, I was this assistant principal starting a building men program, but I was also beta testing on him and his young, his friends who were a bunch of fucking idiots they were 14 years old, like doing the stupidest shit you could possibly imagine. And so I would hold court with them. I like, I was just married at the time, but I would go back to my parents' house and sit with Anthony and Ben and Sammy and Brian and Dan. And I would talk to them about what are you guys going through right now? Like really put it all on the table. What are you guys thinking about? And it was like, you know, they, they were thinking about perpetual boners that they had in, you know, in language arts class when they walked past you know, Sasha, who had the low cut thing on, but there, but they were also talking about family dynamics and not having a relationship with their fathers and feeling like they weren't good enough, that they weren't living up to a specific thing. Or what you mentioned before, Joseph, was about fitting into that niche group, the jocks, the fucking potheads, the, the nerds and whatever. There was that, you know, they, they felt like they needed to be part of a specific group. And I said, how about this? Be you, be authentically you, figure out what you stand for, what you believe in. And if you do that and you're, you're okay with that, you puff your chest out, this is who I am, you will attract people to you. And even if you don't, it's better to stand alone in, in a spot that you believe in rather than not be authentic and, and stand with a group of people. Not the easiest thing for kids that are 14, 15, 16 year, years old to do. Totally understand that. But if they're hearing that and they're seeing you do that in your life as well, that goes a long way. My brother and I are starting this. I'm not, I'm not quite sure when this is going to air. We're going to be doing a free workshop for, we're just opening it up, a a free Zoom meeting, and it's going to be 90 minutes, and we're going to have a group space for young men. Eventually, what it will be is we'll, you know, it'll be a charge thing where we'll do, it's it's like 25 bucks a month, and we're going to have two meetings per month on either Sunday or Monday nights for 90 minutes, and we're going to invite men as mentors in to talk to young men about a specific topic, about masculinity, about self-discipline, about authenticity about daily habits that you can do. And it's going to, we're going to slowly build this community. We see that it's right there. It's we're ready for it right now. And it gives, like you mentioned, where can we go? We're going to provide a space like that for young men moving forward that I did not have that most kids that are our son's age don't have that. It's usually geographically or it's, I don't know, they're playing Fortnite and have some kind of a community where they're, they're doing something virtually but this will give a space for young men to go and talk about the real stuff that they're going through. And we're going to create this building men community. I'm more excited about this than I've been 
about anything in a long time. It's going to provide a safe space. Man, that's amazing. It's funny you, you say that. So like, let's get real. The podcast name, I don't know if you ever read a book. It's called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. So in the book, it talks about living your purpose, your purpose of life. What What is your purpose? You know, everybody's always saying, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? And it's a begin with the end in mind, which kind of came from the Stephen Covey book. And when I first had wrote that, I was watching my wife. So my wife's involved in a lot of these women groups, right? There's this, all these women, and she's at one right now. I mean, they go like five days a week and like she comes back. So we went to this Christmas event and there was like a hundred women and they were just like, I'm watching them and I'm like, why don't men have something like this? Like not where it's like, but like I, my wife always says every time we get through like an argument and she would, she would call like one of the ladies and they would talk and they would be honest. Now I'm in recovery. So I have men cause that's what we do in recovery. You, know, you have to be open. You have to have other men in your life that you can just call and say, Hey man, I'm going through some stuff right now. You know, I'm dealing with this right now. I'm dealing with, with struggling with pornography or I'm dealing with struggling with, you know, arguments I'm having with my wife, like, like just being authentic and real. And I noticed that men didn't have that. Now I had it cause I was in recovery, but I, I'm looking at other men. I'm like, man, like they don't want to. And I'm, I'm meeting with these young college kids right now. There's about five of them. And they say the same thing. They're like, I don't have really a community. And they're all, I, I notice young men, the more I talk to them, they're craving that community. What do you find? Because I, I can tell you my experience, but I'd love to hear yours, of course, of why men struggle with this. You know, like, I don't know if it starts at the young age, the, the, the struggle of being authentic. Like when you told me you heard, you talked to the young man that you brought the four brother, your brother and his, his friends, and you said, what's going on in your life? And they were open. Yeah. I don't know if I see, like, I almost think they feel like they have to give this fake answer because another man's talking to them. What do you see in that area? So one, I believe, for me in particular, being able to open up first, to, to normalize the idea of being vulnerable to these young men, to say, I don't have it all figured out, that I struggle with my mental health from time to time, that I do struggle with anxiety, that I have bouts where I want to look at porn. I have bouts where I drink too much. Like there are just to normalize that. So it's not like, I feel like I am on this soapbox preaching down that you can never do X, Y, and Z, or God will smite you. Like, I, I want to make sure that they understand I've gone through it. I'm still going through it. The other thing I, I recognize, you mentioned what men should be and, and what we see for men. I grew up in a, in a household where it was a very stoic uh, relationship with my father. He was, he was the hard work. He worked a ton. There wasn't a lot of emotionality between me and my father. My mom carried that emotional side. And I was more of an empath. I was more of the emotional type person. So me and my father butted heads and there was a, I have a crazy bullying story. We can get into it if you want to, but it's it where I was basically, you know, shamed and it, it changed the way that I, that can you I, get into that if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. The only reason I want to ask is, is your story is amazing, man. It, it's got, there's a reason why you're doing what you're doing now with young men. I, I admire it so much. I've listened to your podcast. I've shared it with young men. They love it. So I know what you're doing is making an impact and your story I think your experiences will help the, the people who are listening to this of, yeah. of what you get, what you went through. Absolutely. So I'll, and so I'll, I'll tell my story here and then I'll wrap it into, into what, what do lessons it. to do moving forward. So uh, rewind back. It was a, and I, I could see everything about this story. It was one of those core memories in my life. I was, I was a really good athlete growing up. I was three sport athlete. Baseball was my main sport. So I'm going to rewind to the spring of 1989. I uh, grew up in Old Bridge, New Jersey, south of Rutgers, and I made the baseball team as a sixth grade student. Three boys that I was friendly with, we would play 
football on the street and basketball and baseball. They were three years or two years older than me. Three boys uh, got cut from the team. So as a sixth grader, they were an eighth grader. And they took out their frustration on me. So I made the team. They didn't. It was my fault that they were cut from the team. At the time, I, I would say, what's wrong? What did I do wrong? I, I'm sorry. You know, I, I, I got into this, this cycle of doing that. Of, of, I, I felt ashamed that I was a good athlete at that point. And again, I was a pretty happy kid, did well in school, had friends, like I didn't have any, any issues. My relationship with my, my father running concurrently to this, he was, he coached all my teams. He was the, the head baseball coach, the basketball coach. He took me for batting lessons, threw me batting practice, pitched to him. So he was there in that capacity, but he also did not like when I showed any level of vulnerability, fear, any emotion that was considered weak to him. So I was growing up knowing this about my father. I'm going to the gym one day with him. And we see the boys' names are Frankie, Louie, and Vinny. Stereotypical Italian kids from, from Central Jersey on the Jersey Shore at that time. And as we're driving by, one of them flips my father the bird. And he looks over at me as we're driving to the gym. He goes, what up with that? I thought you were friends with these kids. And now I'm thinking, shit, these boys have been making my life a living hell in school, on the bus. We would, I would be on the bus ride to school. They'd be flicking my ear and throwing shit at me and, and making fun of the way that I looked. I had, my head is probably the same size now at 45 as it is was, was when I was 12. Same, I had these big buck teeth freckles. And so they targeted me for the way that I looked, started bullying me, making fun of me, pushing me into the lockers in school. I tracked my day, Joseph, to not interact with them. I knew every one of their classes where they were going. So I, was, I lived in this scared life for a month in school, really, really worried. Then what would happen is as I would get off the bus, they would chase me home. They would throw rocks at me, throw sticks at me, kick my feet out from under me as I was running home. And I got jumped a couple of times. I got my ass kicked by these three kids who were two years older than me when I was in sixth grade. So this is, this is happening at the same time, driving home from the gym with my father after the kid flips in the bird. And then as we're driving by, one of them yells out, fuck you, as loud as he possibly could. And now like I could feel everything in my body go numb. I'm thinking, oh my God, just drive home, just drive home, don't say anything. My father looks over, he goes, what the fuck was this about? Pulls into the driveway, goes, go inside and wait upstairs. And I go and I sit in my room, my hands are shaking. He's gone for 10 minutes, it felt like two days. He comes back, he goes, let's go. I just arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. I don't know how to fight. I'm like, I've never been in a fight before. Like I wrestle around with, but I've never like squared up with someone. He never taught me how to fight. How old were you, you said? 12. 12. Wow. And so this boy was 14 turning 15. Hmm. And I don't move. He goes, Let's go. I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. Now I start to cry. Again, my hands are shaking. He goes, they were right what they said about you. You are a fucking pussy. And he walked out of my room, slams the door. And so now like the emotion just rushes through me. I'm just like, have this, this, this break, this emotional break, sobbing uncontrollably. I'm sitting on the floor. I can still remember rubbing the carpet. Like I can still have the feeling, right? Traumatic experiences that we go through as children. He leaves my room. He doesn't talk to me for the next month. He doesn't talk to me at all for the next month. Now, this is the guy who was my hero, my role model, right? Doesn't talk to me. The only time he says my name is when he says, oh, I bet you your sister Tara would have went up there and kicked his ass. You know, like something along those lines. So after my father leaves my room, I'm sitting there crying. My mom walks into the room and she looks at me and I'm thinking, I think I'm mom. Give me a hug. Like, I just need support here. She goes, you just lost your best friend, your father. And she walks out of the room. I could still hear the word. I could see the words. I hear them. And now not only am I getting bullied at school, my life is a living hell. I'm running, you know, from these kids on a day-to-day basis, getting my ass kicked. My father just calls me a pussy, walks out of the room. And then my mother tells me that I let the family down, that I didn't stand up for him. And now I lost my best friend. So I have these three traumatic experiences that happen in a really short period of time where I don't feel that I'm safe. 
that I feel like if I stand up for myself, I'm going to be abandoned, that I need to just kind of go along with the tide or go along with the flow back to the, the point about going through high school and being yourself. That's not how I live because I was worried that if I didn't go along with the crowd and make people happy, I would get abandoned. This is now the backdrop. Years of therapy and coaching that I've gone through have helped me come to this realization but as I got into relationships, as I was growing up, I showed up in an inauthentic way. I was afraid to really confront the bullshit, the issue. So I would just be like, that's fine, hon. I got it. I'll do whatever. Happy wife, happy life. Like that's how I lived for a period of time. Slowly was chipping away at my soul. So finally, you know, after, you know, a, a marriage that wasn't happy for most of it, three beautiful children, you know, that I'm absolutely happy for. But I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, there's no more of this. I'm not going to show up in this way anymore. So I did a lot of deep digging into it. I you know, went back into the story in my head to be able to retell it. Now, listen, first of all, it's not okay. What happened? You know, you have to be able to say like, I was a 12 year old kid. You know, I was scared. I needed a hug at that time. I needed somebody there to support me and I didn't have it. So you need to go back and like give that kid what he needed basically. And then be able to talk to your parents about it. So I had difficult conversations with my parents about that into my early forties. And it was very healing for me. But what I recognized was that what it takes is this level of, of balance between the strength, the, that worker that you had mentioned, like go to work, put your head down, do that stuff, like take care of your family. You need to be able to do that. You absolutely like, in whatever capacity you can, do what you can physically as well. So, you know, go for runs, go to the gym while you can still do it. There will be a time that you're not able to bench 225 anymore. So while you can do that shit, like, like take care of yourself physically, take care of your family financially, do those things. But on the other end, you have to, you have to be vulnerable. You have to show that it's okay to be like, I'm scared right now. This is, I'm, th- this situation made me really upset or emotional. And what, what men struggle with is I think the go-to is I got this. I'm fine. I don't need any help because it, it seems like it's a more masculine thing to do to just deal with your shit on your own. But what happens is you start to stuff it down. What I did was I stuffed down that situation for 30 years and it started to come out in negative ways. So I wasn't happy in my marriage. I was drinking too much. I was eating too much. I was watching porn too much. It was coming out in all negative ways until I finally ripped out the roots of that shit and started to deal with it. So it's the balance between strength and vulnerability. Like how do we normalize both to be able to say, like you mentioned your wife as a support group, women are much better at this being like, you know, Hey, Brenda, I'm having a tough day today. You know, I had a fight with my husband and this happened and the kids are driving me crazy for men. It's like, you know, you sit your belly up at the bar like, ah, oh, fucking Duke. That was a great game against Michigan State, huh? Yeah, Shashevsky, right? All right. And then you you move on. Give me another yeah. beer. But to really get into the tough shit, like, man, I'm really emotional today, man. I, I had this situation that happened. I'm feeling like inadequate about whatever. Men don't speak that way. And it's when young men don't see older men talk about those things and be vulnerable and be able to, to shed their shit, they're going to go through the same thing. That cycle will be perpetuated. So what can we do to normalize those challenging conversations to be able to lean into the emotion, but at the same time have a group of, of men that are like, you know what? I get it. I'm here for you. What can I do for you? Like, and then also help them and then hold them accountable. So not just like pat them on the back, like, okay, like soft gushy kind of thing. Like, okay, I hear you. I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. Let's do this together. Or what can I do to help push you along on this journey? So I just did a post on Instagram. It was like, men need to have a spine and a heart. You have to, you have that. It can't just be all spine. You can't just be that, you know, where's my turkey pot pie, bitch, as you walk in the door, drink your whiskey and then go to bed. And it can't be all the way on the other end where you're, 
so emotional that you can't stand up for yourself. So it's what can we do to get it more towards the middle and find that nice balance. And it's finding that supportive group of men that can help you along on that journey. Man, that was so good, bro. It's, it's crazy. I was just thinking about this the other day, and this is what led to my last episode on the podcast was it was talking about like this balanced life of how to do it all right. And and I think one thing that I see, especially with men is like, you know, the, the fact that we got it, and we're always trying to get better, right? Like, and that's, that's, that's kind of what my focus has recently been on is the men that I'm dealing with are just men who are trying to get better. They're trying to self develop, they're trying to grow. And what I always say is, hey, it's great that you're growing. But like, if you're not pointing out the places where you're struggling with, that means you're not growing in those areas. It's slowly dying and it's turning into a bad tree and that tree is going to bear bad fruit. Um, But we don't want to talk about the bad roots because it's almost like, man, like, I mean, I I haven't ever talked to, I I mean, right now in the group of men that I have, but how many men that I know that like are married, but struggle with pornography. And in my mind, my heart goes to like, who do they talk to? And if they're not talking to anybody, that means they continue to struggle. You know, and and again, I'm I'm grateful that I have men in my life because of recovery. But I've really been on this understanding of of trying to find men who don't have that. You know, and and making us almost like a like, hey, bro, it's okay. You know, and and it's it's fine that you go through what you go through. That's normal. Me too. You know what I mean? Like it, I, I've been there. I've done it. And I love what you said about being vulnerable. What about talking to the? Because I I know you're you're talking to the young men right now. And again, this is a selfish podcast for me because I'm getting a lot of value out of it, but I'm hoping it's bringing value to other people is, is knowing that like, for me, I, I've thought about these groups of men and, and where, where the men don't have a safe place to go. And, and they don't have like, it's great. The young boys have the building men will be able to change a generation in that way. But there's men who are raising children right now that may be listening to this that also are like, I need to teach my boy to be a man because you got all this stuff going on in the world right now. And I know a lot of men are afraid that their boy's not going to be a man and he's not going to grow up to man because what society is teaching them. So they're basing it off of that fear. And they're like, you got to be a man. Guns up, blaze up, you know, big beard, like you said. It's this mantra of it. And we're, we're missing the, hey, it's okay to be a bear, but sometimes you need to like soften your heart, talk about the real stuff. Yep. Give some insight to that part. Um, I know some of the stuff you were just talking about now, but I mean, if you were talking to a dad and, and it will make it just real, you know, who doesn't want to make their son too soft, you know, I don't want him to be a softy. I don't want, I don't want him to see me cry because I want him to look at me like I'm the, the, the big, strong man that he can come to to protect him. But I don't want him to be too soft. So if I talk about this stuff, he's going to be soft. Yeah, it's it's interesting. As you were talking about that, you, you used the word bear. I had this this vision of of on the same level being able to be that Kodiak bear. It, you know, the movie that Edge is one of my favorite movies of all time. Alec Baldwin, Anthony Hopkins. It's just a badass movie. We've never seen it before. But there's this this like fifteen hundred pound Kodiak bear that's hunting these two men in the wilderness in Alaska. It is a badass animal unbelievable being able to call upon that when necessary to be able to be that ferocious bear but at the same time you can be winnie the pooh you can be like you know what i just want some honey right now i want to sit down and i want to talk about the shit totally strange analogy there but being able that's great and here's the thing for young men to to see that it's okay to be emotional and i'm i don't i'm not saying it's so over the top emotional that you're like, does this guy even have a spine? Is, you know, is he a Ken doll between his legs? Like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, or can he conjure up that, that strength? 
Jordan Peterson talks about it all the time. He says, you need to be a fucking monster. You need to be a monster and then be able to tame that and be able to be in touch with your vulnerable side, but be able to call upon that strength whenever necessary. So as far as what advice would I give to the fathers? Here's the thing. It's not, you need to get away from, son, we're going to sit down right now and we're going to talk about accountability. Son, we're going to sit down right now. We're going to talk about pornography. Son, it's going to be in the conversations that you have while you're doing the shit. So listen, I just got a quarter wood. We're going to chop it up for, for having fire pits over the summer. Here's a mall. Here's a fucking act. Like let's, and in that have conversation. So you're in the middle of doing something, man. When I was your age, I'll talk to my son, man. When I was your age, we didn't have, I didn't have a phone with, with porn on it. So I remember having a, like a playboy in a penthouse that was stuffed under my bed. Like, and I'll have this conversation with my son and we laugh about it. And I try to normalize it through humor and things, but I share the stuff that I've gone through. Instead of him thinking that he's, it's strange that he wants to look at boobs. We're men. Like that's where we see boobs. We look in that direction, right? That's okay. But once it becomes something that you're, it's changing your relationship dynamics, because that's the only way that you can find any level of arousal. And these are conversations that I do have with my son for him, because I started having the conversations. He was 13 years old. He was seven, seventh grade. I bought him a box of condoms and he looks at me like, what the, like, I was like, listen, here's the deal. I don't think you're having sex right now. I'm guessing you're not having sex. He's like, I'm not having sex. That I'm like, but here's the thing. You need to be prepared just in case. I was like, so here's a box of condoms. Fucking open up a open up a condom. And he, he opens one up and he's like, this is so weird. I'm like, listen, we're just gonna have this conversation right now. I told him the first time that I had sex, I was 16 years old. I just turned 16 years old. I said I was so nervous. I ripped the condom as I was opening it from the package. And then when I went to put it on, I put it on backwards and then I flipped it over and I didn't know. And then I like ripped through the condom the first time that I put the condom on. And he's looking at me like, holy shit. I was like, dude, you're going to be nervous. You're going to be nervous. I said, so listen, you need to practice at least putting on a condom. If you're going to have, if you're going to be in the spot where you're having sex, you need to understand what that means. Do I think you should be having sex now? I absolutely don't. But I also want to normalize the conversation. And here's the other thing that I know with kids, hundred percent, if they're, Asking you a question about anything, they are ready to hear the answer. Whatever, however hard that answer is, if they're asking the question, they've already thought about it deeply enough that they're ready to hear that answer. So being able to normalize those conversations and have the conversations on the drives here and there, on the drive to and from a baseball game, on the, you know, you're, do, you're doing something together, you're, you're mowing the lawn, whatever it is, find little spots to just interject conversations that are more deep in nature. It doesn't have to be this grand gesture it's just casual conversations that you're having. And what that, that will do is help them realize like, he's just a dude. He's a normal dude, struggles with the same kind of, kinds of things. But being that role model for them, like we mentioned before, because they're seeing you interact in, in a way of integrity, way of character, way of compassion, that'll be the lesson that they've learned. How do they feel through the conversation? And then how do they see you interacting on a regular basis? And the one thing that I'm hearing you say that I know a lot of people are maybe not thinking about is, you're spending time, (laughs) like you're spending time. And I don't know if this was just me. And and because of what I saw, you know, whether it was growing up and and I started as I grew up, you know, my dad's at work and I'm from Detroit. So I moved to Michigan. I'm 14, 15. I hop into school. I play sports. So I see that. And I'm almost, and one thing I feel that I noticed now with young men, they're looking for a role model, right? They're looking for and now with, like you said, their social media, it might be you, but, but if you're not spending time with your kids, it, I, it almost is like, okay, my dad worked hard and, 
he taught me hard work. Like I know one thing I can say about my dad, he taught me how to work hard, be honest that, you know, but the life lessons I was looking for someone. And then you have two different places to find them. And as a man looking for how to be a man, I remember I read, you know, Tim Grover. I don't know if you've ever read his books and I, I use this analogy. He's the guy who coached Michael Jordan. And I believe this for so long. And, and I know there's a lot of men out there that believe this. And he was talking about, there was a time he was with his daughter, they were on vacation and he got a phone call and he had to get up and leave and he had to leave the vacation and go to work. And he, his daughter looked at him and said, daddy, why are you leaving? And he said, I got to go. This is how I put food on the table for you and the family. And she said, dad, if I eat less, will you stay? And Tim's answer, which again, I always say, doesn't mean it's wrong, but I always say to remember what it is you want at the end. And what he always wanted to teach his daughter was how to win. That's Tim Grover's mentality. It's I'm relentless. I'm going out there. I'm teaching my, and that's the, the lesson he's teaching her. And he still left. And I remember hearing that. I'm like, that's what I got to do. I remember even believing that when I first had my daughter, like if I got to miss out moments, at least she's going to learn this. But as I started and I'll never forget bathing my, you know, my kids. And I'm like, I can't believe I want to miss this. You know, there's so many lessons as I'm taking my son to soccer. And then I see the other side of it. Now I'm grateful. I got to see the other side, but sometimes I get afraid that young men or men now they never get to see the other side of the lessons you can teach your kids while you're spending time with them, you know, and that's why I love everything you just said was not, well, when you're out there working, send them a text or send them a YouTube video, you know, or say, Hey, look, look at me working hard. Look what I'm driving. It was the time that you're being able to spend with them. There's lessons in their life. And it's the, the quality of that time over the quantity of the time. So being, you know, a single parent now and, and having my kids half the time, recognizing that it's 50% less than it was before. But that 50% is going to be 100% more than it was before. It's like I am so uh, cognizant of these moments that I have with my, with my children. And it's a good point when you think about, you know, those life lessons. Uh, they, they've asked people, you know, in their, the twilight of their lives, like, what are, do you have any regrets of your life? And the, the most three common, three most common answers that people give, um, one is to take more risks in their life. The second is to do something to leave a legacy. And the third is to spend those moments with loved ones, like really deep moments with loved ones, instead of worrying about, you know, the, just for the, you are going to do everything, work our asses off on vacation for the party, for, whatever. Um, how much time did you spend waxing your car when you could have been having a catch with your kid? Cause those are the moments that you don't get back. So, um, risk legacy and relationships when you think about, you know, what you can do in the twilight of your life. So if you, if you know that start today, so if you're 45, like I am start today, rather than waiting until you're 65 to start thinking about those things. You work with high school kids as well. I do right now. It's, it's interesting. Most of my individual coaching clients are high school kids. They're in that 16 through 18, 19 year old range. And I just started working with, you had mentioned fathers of kids in that realm as well, working with a couple of dads. I I don't have a ton of spots left for coaching, but that's where I find so much value in the one-on-one coaching that I can do with with young men. And then even with their fathers, like I had just mentioned, fathers of kids that are, you know, in that middle and high school age range. And here's the thing that I've recognized as a father myself of, of a young man there are lessons that he will absolutely learn from me the way what I say to him, what we do together. And then what he sees me doing that, you know, learning by doing kind of thing and how he sees me interacting. But I recognize there are certain 
things that I can't show him. So I'm okay with being like, listen, Danny, like I'm going to get you a coach in this area. So he's a football and a basketball player. So there's a coach around visualizing, like a visualization coach for football. He's a quarterback. So it's what I, I recognize in this area. I'm, you know, I can get you help in this area. He loves math. He's like, I don't even understand that. I don't understand how he loves math, but he's in calculus as a junior and he wants to, you know, go into architecture or engineering. So what I'm going to do is set him up with someone who knows more than I do in that space. What I'm doing in that, like teaching him, I, I do have my limitations. Like I'm not going to help you in the world of architecture at all. I, you know, I could hold my own with some Legos, but that's about it. So I'm like taking a step back saying, there are lessons you will learn from me. And one of those lessons is know what you know, know what you don't know. And is there someone else that you can access that can help you along on your journey for a father to set my son up with someone that could help him? That's a very rewarding thing for me as well. And I do believe that he sees it in a way where, you know, this is something that dad is doing to help me help myself in the future. And I think that's awesome that you do that. Cause I think a lot of times as dads, we sometimes want to be the hero, you know, dad knows everything. He got me everything, but in a way it's like, dad will help me. You know, whether dad knows everything or not, he's humble yeah. enough to say, I don't know, but here's the answer and what you're teaching him in that. So I know we only got like about like five more minutes. I could talk to you for like another hour bro, on this topic, but, but I do want to ask one more question. I, that's why I asked you about if you're working with high school kids, what is the one thing you see with the, the high school kids that you're coaching ages 16, to 18, that they're struggling with? And what are you telling them? So one thing in particular is the fear of future fear of expectations for beyond high school. Like what is the next step in their life? Having that realization where all of a sudden they see graduation, they see that finite date. I'm graduating on June 4th of 2022, 2023. Now all of a sudden the world gets real to them. So as a, as a young man, before it was like, oh, we're, we got parties, we got sports, we got this, we got girls, we got, we're going to smoke and drink on the weekends. And now all of a sudden there's a, there's a finite date. There's a timestamp like, oh shit, it's going to get real. So a lot of them are worried about what is the next step. Do I want to go to college? And if I do, everyone is asking, where are you going to school? What are you going to major in? Where are you going to live? Like, and a lot of kids don't even know. And to feel the pressure of coming, like having a major declared when you're 16, 17 years old, I didn't know what I wanted to do until like six months ago for my life. You know, I was, I was an educator for 20 years, but that's not what I wanted to do when I grew up. So helping them normalize that, like, first of all, it's okay. It is okay to not know what you want to do for the rest of your life and to a lot of them feel the pressure because of their parents and their parents' friends where this kid, you know, well, Aiden is going to school. He got accepted to, to Penn. Where is Dennis going to school? You know, so having that pressure. And so what I, how I work with that is like the way when I work with young men, I, it's all about stories. Like I, I do story work with people, helping them uncover, like, why are they feeling a specific way? So where is that pressure coming from? Like, let's, let's really go to the root of it. I mentioned the bullying story. What I needed to do myself was uncover what were the emotions behind the story to really deal with them, to be able to grow from it. So I really, I like to think about having experiences. So what can you do right now to have these experiences, to find out what you truly want to do for your future? And if you don't know when you're 16, 18, 24, it's okay. It's totally okay. So having them work through that process. And the other thing that I see a lot of, and it's, they don't even recognize it. It's just the reliance on technology. Like the, their phone has become an appendage. It's part of their hand right now. Think about personal space. Like if someone gets into your personal space, that they're too close to you, mm -hmm. you have this reaction like, yo, dude, get the fuck away from me, right? With kids, their phone is their personal space. So if I sit my phone on the countertop and you go over and you pick it up, it's like you putting your nose on my cheek. Like that's yeah. how close you got into my personal space. 
So with kids, there is the reliance on the phone and interacting in that digital way most of the time. So I, I do feel like they might not recognize that that's an issue, but that is something that I tried to help kids with to, to you know, stop that reliance on technology and have true conversations with individuals, help them understand what a conversation is like, the give and take. How do you listen to people? Even presentation-wise, how are you coming across to another human being? Think about in your career, in your, in your life, uh, indicator of success is, is typically not intelligence. It's not IQ. It's the social-emotional piece. It's how you can interact with a group of people. So working with young men on how to present themselves in a really positive, polished way as well. And that, that answered it exactly on point. The, the second part kind of led you, you kind of answered it, but, and because I, I was going to say that, cause I was talking to young men and they don't know which route to take after high school, which is exactly what you said. The second part, it'll segue perfect. And, and that'll take us out is if they don't know where they're going to go, they're, they're looking at different routes. You know, they have their dad telling them this thing, maybe the, the school telling them this thing that this telling them this thing. And I find that they lack self-confidence because they don't trust themselves because they're trying to take the route that everybody else wants them to take. Uh, is that something you see in the, cause that's what I'm, I'm seeing in some of these kids who are like, I don't know which way to take and they don't want to go to college, but then this person's telling them, if you don't go to college, you're going to fail. And they're like, Oh shoot, I need to go. And they're struggling with this self-confidence because they don't know which route to take. They feel like there's a specific route. So what are you telling them when they're, when, when you, when they say, Hey, I don't know which route to take. And you're saying it's okay. Is there something you can add on to that part? Well, it's, it's, if it is a lack of confidence or if it is fear, it's again, go, what's the root of it? Like we, we really have to get down and, and dirty into why, what does it exist? As, as we talk like, okay, I'm, I'm worried about college. Why? Well, because of this, why? Because and it usually comes back into, because I don't want to disappoint my dad or like, it, there's usually a deeper root. It's not an overnight thing. It, it does take some work to get back to that point with confidence. Confidence comes with reps. It really does. What, what I, what I do my best to help young men understand, and this is a lesson that I did not learn until I was in my 40s, feel good at being bad at things initially. Like feel comfortable in not being able to whatever it is, but commit to whatever it is to, to be better at it. You're throwing cornhole bags in the backyard. The first time you did it, you were all over the place, but then you practice, you got better, you got better, you got better. It comes through the reps, being okay with doing something that you're not good at initially, whatever that is, and feel okay with it. And, and having the confidence like, I might be the worst at whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to do a, um, a mud run. I might suck at this mud run, but you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do it and I'm going to get better and I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to get better. And so it's reps that build the confidence in whatever aspect of your life. So if it's the self-confidence of being able to, to stand up to someone, to have that tough conversation, to do something physically, go through the suck, go through those difficult parts and you'll get better at whatever it is. And then it'll serve you more in the future. So good. Again, I could talk to you for like another hour, man, but we'll, we'll definitely stay connected. Bro, I, I appreciate your time. I definitely think this helped. Definitely a lot of people that I know are going to listen to this. And before we get off, man, you've just brought so much value. How can people get involved if they want to look at you for coaching? I'll have you send me the link so I can put the stuff in the podcast. But I know I'll be talking to you after just, just for, for my son. Yeah. And I know if somebody heard you, they'll, they'll, they might want to reach out to you. So how can they find you, man? I appreciate that. So my website is buildingmen.io and get to everywhere from that website. There's links for um, setting up a, even a free coaching call, like a half hour discovery call. And like I mentioned, and I appreciate you giving the opportunity. I do work with young men in that high school time frame, but also the dads of the young men as well. What, what can we do to help them along their journey? Um, I do a podcast typically twice a week, Building Men Podcast. You can find it on all the 
you know, the, the channels where you listen to podcasts and I find stories of inspiration, um, motivation, and what it means to be a man and still answering that question for myself. And my email address is buildingmencoach at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram, building.men. Yeah, find me in any way. And I'm very good at getting back to people. So if you email me, if you send me a direct message, I do get back to people quite frequently and, and rapidly. And, um, and I'm there to support. So if, if you have any questions about anything, please don't hesitate to reach out. Dude, absolutely. And the podcast is definitely fire, man. So if you guys haven't heard his podcast, he's got some great stuff on there. Y'all are funny. It's, 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 it's awesome, man. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like that good balance of inspiration. And we're brothers, right? So he's, Anthony's 14 years younger than me. And so we, we, there's, it's a good balance of like inspiration and dick jokes. It's yeah. pretty much what it is. <laughs> that's right. Because that's what we need in the world today. So I, like one of my mentors was, I listened to Stern growing up. I listened to Howard Stern. And I, but I also love Tony Robbins and Jordan Peterson. And so I'm taking all that and melding it into one with some sports focus as well. And, and I'll talk to anyone about anything. And I love conversations. I mean, the world is about conversations. That's what it's truly about. It's not about being on your phone all the time. It's like, what can you do to add value to the world? And and I appreciate you giving the opportunity to, to speak with your audience and hopefully add some value to their life as well. Dude, I already know they did. And again, selfishly, if they didn't, I know I did. So somebody did, you know, but I, I definitely know, man. So I appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening. And thanks for letting us share.